Praying effectively, if uh, you have your bulletin, you should have an outline, a sermon outline in there. So you can pull that out and you can follow along. If uh, you didn't know, if you're our guest today, we have, uh, we have a bunch of sermon-based groups that meet, small groups that meet during the week. And so there's on the flip side of that outline, there's small group questions that our leaders will use in our groups this week. It's not too late to get into a group. Uh, they wrap up for the, for the summer uh, right around Father's Day or that week of Father's Day, and then they'll uh, reboot again in the fall. We have about 100 people in small groups, if you didn't know. And I'd love, in fact, we're hoping to have 200 people in small groups. We'd, I'd like to see it doubled by September. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so, uh, yeah. So if you, um, but we need you. We need you. We need homes. We need leaders. We need people. So you think about that. And uh, the groups are awesome, and people are enjoying them so much. So uh, there's your stuff for this week, uh, small group leaders. Praying effectively, Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 23 to 31. You could put it up, and I'm going to get right into it today. It says this As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power and may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. It's a really, really powerful prayer. This, in fact, is one of the great prayers, in my opinion, one of the great prayers in, in the Bible. There's a number of them, but this, this one's right up there, too. The effects of this prayer were felt and seen immediately. All those present are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out preaching and sharing the message of Jesus with great courage, great boldness, with great authority. In fact, the early part of chapter 4, let me help set this up so you get this, if some of you don't know the story. The earlier part of chapter 4, it's, it's t- it tells us the story that Peter and John were arrested uh, after praying for a lame man who got healed. Imagine, they pray for, it says the man was crippled, sitting at the gate. He was there for 40 years, the Bible says, 40 years. They go by and they pray for him. The Lord heals him, and they get arrested for, for, for uh, praying for the crippled man. Could you imagine? But that's what happened. Uh, put it up for me, Acts 4, verse 8. 
This is after uh, they're arrested and they're talking uh, before the religious leaders. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Great question, eh? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Could you imagine, just picture the scene, okay? This is how out of touch, how cold, how how hard-hearted, how close-minded religious people can get. This is why we're into relationship, not religion. Someone said amen, right? They, they, They don't want them to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. Why? Because they just prayed for a lame man who was lame for 40 years and he's healed. And they can't deny it because the lame man is standing right in front of them. And they don't like it. Are you wrapping your head around the, con- like the, the, the crazy conundrum that they're in? Right? Like, they, it, it, it's, it's bizarre. So bizarre. Anyway, so Peter and John are set free. They gather together with this group of believers and they begin to pray the prayer that we that we uh, read just a few minutes ago. They pray for courage. They pray for boldness to keep talking about Jesus in spite of the opposition that they're facing, in spite of the threats that they've received. So their prayer was simply asking God to continue to do for them what he already promised he would. This is what he promised them in Acts 1, verse 8. He said, but you will receive, come on, power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. So they pray for courage, boldness, and they're asking, they're saying, listen, you promise just a a couple of chapters before, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So they're saying, look, we've already received the power. The Holy, the Holy Spirit has descended. The day of Pentecost has happened. We're a couple of chapters beyond that now. And they're saying, Lord, now we need your help. Now it's not just a game anymore. Now we really need the power of the Holy Spirit. We really need your help to push through this opposition. We really need it now. If you're going to show up, please show up now, right? This is the cry, right? God is pleased with their prayer, obviously pleased. And he answers in a powerful way. And it just got me thinking, how can we pray effectively like that? How can we pray like that? Like, I have never prayed. I have had some amazing things happen to me over the years in times of prayer. I have seen amazing things happen. But I'll tell you one thing. I have never prayed. I have never been in a prayer meeting and had the place shake. I would love to experience that. It won't break the foundation. He's going to shake it and then fix the foundation, you know. He promised he'd finish the building of the temple correctly. So if he wants to shake it, it's up to him to fix it, right? But could you imagine the place shakes, right? This passage gives us these really solid, I think, principles that we, that we need to see that will help us to pray more effectively. I think there's principles that are easily seen here. And let me just pull out a few for you. First one is acknowledge God's greatness and his will. Acknowledge his greatness and his will. See, effective prayer is not telling God what to do, Right? How's that going to be effective? How's that going to work for you? You're telling the sovereign creator of the universe what to do. That's probably not going to work out so well for you, right? Effective prayer is not telling God what to do, but asking him to do his will in, in us and through us. That, that you, you do this. You, I want to be in line with you. I want to I want to know your will. I want to pray your will, right? 1 John 5, 14 to 15, it says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. You see, when we pray and we ask for the will of God, it makes our prayers powerful. Do you see that? it's, It's a very basic principle, but it needs to be said. Praying is about getting God's will accomplished here on earth. It's not about getting your will accomplished or my will accomplished. It's about getting his will accomplished, right? We want the enemy, we want his plans, his purposes to be defeated. We want God's will to be seen and done and felt and heard. So we start by praying and recognizing the greatness of God and asking for his will to be done. See, it, 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 uh, it, it relates perfectly how they began this prayer to, to the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus taught us to pray. There's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. It's a good prayer to pray. But he didn't say, pray this prayer. He said this. He said, pray like this, right? He said, pray like this. So this is the, the meaning... How? how, What does that mean? Well, he's giving us some, again, principles that you need to see in the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus taught us. The disciples, by the way, didn't ask, Lord, can you teach us how to preach? Can you teach us how to play the harp? 
Can you teach us how to make a banjo? Can you teach us how to fix a wall? No, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And he said, okay, pray like this. And then, and then he said these words. Put up the first half, Matthew 6. He said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, see, there's a pattern here that I want you to get. Notice, we start first by calling him Father. You see, this reminds us all that we are in a relationship, a close relationship. He's our Abba. He's our Daddy. He's our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. And so we can approach him with the confidence of being in a close relationship. He's a good dad. We are children of God, and he is a good, good father. He has our best interest in mind. He loves us. He's for us, just like any good earthly parent would be towards their children. God is that way and more towards us. So Jesus says, so start by calling him father. Recognize the relationship and the special relationship that you have with him as a child of God. And then acknowledge the greatness of his name and keep it holy. God's name is great. And it should be kept holy, right? Meaning you don't mess with his name, right? He's not somebody to be toyed with. He's a big God who is worthy of reverence and respect. And we keep his name holy. He says, keep that in mind. And then he goes on to say, he says three things. It's all the first half is about your. He says, it's your name be kept holy. Your kingdom come. And what? Your will be done, right? Three yours Your name, your kingdom, your will. The first half is all about God's greatness and his will and setting his will as our priority in our praying. Isn't that amazing? This is how he says, this is a pattern to pray. He says, Father, recognize your close relationship. Lord, I I want your name to be praised. You are great and wonderful. I want your will to be done, your kingdom to come. It's all, it's recognizing him, right? And then the second half of the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's a whole sermon, but there's a, a huge switch. It's a definite switch. Put up 11 to 13, the second half. Then he says this, give, what's the next word? Us, not your anymore. Now it's give us today the food we need. And forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. You see, all of a sudden it turns. It turns. Now it's about us. And it's about asking him to help us with our needs and our temptations and our wounds. Is Give us today our needs. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. And lead us not into temptation. Right? So we start by putting God's concerns first, and then we bring him our needs and our concerns. And it's a definite, it, it's a definite pattern in the Lord's Prayer. It's really clear. It's like the same pattern when Jesus said, right? Seek first what? The kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. you are you getting the pattern? Right? Seek first the kingdom. 
How do we pray? Pray like this. Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? On earth as in it. Now, give us, lead us, right? And all of a sudden it turns. There's a, there's a, there's a definite pattern there. It is the same principle that Jesus taught by saying, seek first the kingdom of God. So our needs are addressed after we submit our wills to the Father and acknowledge him as the almighty God. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but put that in your back pocket because that's a great, great, great form of, of praying. Like Jesus said, pray like this. So if Jesus said, pray like this, it's probably a good way to pray. Just saying. So um, it seems like also the focus of the early church back in the, in, the, in the book of Acts especially, it seems like the focus of their prayers, it wasn't about ever about telling God the size of their problems. They seemed, they seemed to tell their problems about the size of their God. And I love the reverse, right? It's, it's awesome. Like they start by saying in this prayer in Acts 4, O sovereign Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth. You, you formed the sea and everything in it and in them, in the earth and the, in the sky. They are saying, right? They're saying, you are big. You are big. And there is nothing too difficult for you. You are the creator. You are the owner. You are the sustainer. You are the one. Everything that is, is because of you. You are the one who knows what to do. And we acknowledge your power. We acknowledge your greatness. We want your will to come in our lives, in our church, in our ministries. We want you to follow through with the promise that you said that you would give us boldness to preach the gospel. That come, oh God, because we are facing opposition, but you are greater. This is, this is what they're saying, right? There's this pattern of seeking the kingdom first. You see, and, and by the way, just an aside, but do you see how? That when you pray like this, that, that it builds your faith. It builds your faith when you, when you begin prayer, praying like this, right? Rather than just coming and just dumping and it's a monologue, not a dialogue, and you just dump all of your issues onto God, right? It, and, and instead, you come and you say, forget about your problem just for now. Just come into his presence and say, Father, you are big. You are great. I know that you are sovereign Lord, that you hold the world in the palm of your hands. I know that you can do great things, that mountains are but a stone for you. You can do and accomplish what you want, that the enemy can't stand against you, that you are powerful, good, and great. I am a child of God. I stand in your victory. You are for me and not against me. You begin to pray like that. Guess what happens? You're already starting to feel better, aren't you? Right? It begins to build up your faith to say, God can do something about my situation. Right? And I think there's a, there's a reason why he's saying, acknowledge God's greatness and his will. Start that way. See that that's a pattern in your prayers. Prayers that are offered in faith are powerful, the word says. And so we build our faith by talking about the size and the mighty power of our God. That's how you build your faith. You look back and you know when you're reading scripture and the scripture says, and he did this. There's something about, yes, you know, he raised the widow's son. He sent the word 
and, and, and the daughter was healed. He walked across the sea. He fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. And on and on and on. And you read those stories and there's something in there that says, Yes, oh God, you can do this. You are big enough. You can handle my worst problem. And so he's saying, start that way. Because it helps to build your faith. And when you pray in faith, it's just a better prayer. It's a more powerful prayer. And you, you have to find his will. That's, that's, that's key. You know, we're not, we're not always praying God's will. Sometimes we don't pray his will because we want our will to be done instead of his. And it's important, he's saying, find that place. Find his will. Because when you pray his will and you acknowledge his greatness, that's a powerful prayer. So second is unity in prayer. Unity in prayer. I don't have a clock. What time is it? Someone shout out to me. Okay, I'm good. Okay. Keep going. All right, here we go. Thank you, Terry. We got nothing else to do. It's a long weekend. All right. Unity in prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Put that up for me. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of, yeah, yeah, okay. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in it. Is that right? Is that verse 24? Yeah. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of about half a mile. Okay, so this is what I just wanted to point out to you. As they begin to pray, It was a prayer that was done by all the believers together. Peter and John get released. They gather together with a group of believers. They tell them what has happened, what happened to them, uh, all that's occurred, and they begin to pray. But it was a prayer that was done. It says, they lifted their voices together in prayer. And it's not just, it's, it wasn't just the senses, it wasn't just them being in the same room and one person was leading them in prayer. No, they were, they were together, praying together, unified together, lifting up their voices together. They were calling out to God, right? They had one heart, one mind, and God was pleased to answer their request. And this is not just the only time. You see it all the way through the book of Acts. Even starting in Acts 1, put that up for me, Acts 1 uh, verse 12. It says, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who are present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They, they started right from the first chapter of the book. They were constantly united in prayer. And so, and just enough to say, and you know this is true, that division in a church will hinder our prayers. Amen? Division in a church will hinder our prayers and it will rob the church of its spiritual power. And so it's important that there's unity among the believers. It adds power and effectiveness to our prayers. Third, pray with expectancy. Pray with expectancy. 
So these people, they just simply took Jesus at his word. He said that the Holy Spirit would come and that he would give them power to witness and to accomplish everything that they needed to do. And I know this is deep, but they simply believed it. They just believed it. Um, And there's power in that. The Bible is clear that we have to or we should keep praying. We should keep believing and that we shouldn't give up. Look at here's one example. Luke 11 verse 5. It says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Can you imagine? Somebody's banging on your door and he just got into bed, right? But I tell you this, though you, he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That's what he says. See, we keep on praying. Let me just say this. We keep on praying. Not Because we're trying to overcome God's reluctance to answer. That's not why we keep on praying. We keep on praying because we want to grab hold of everything that he wants for us. Right? There are times in the Bible when persistent prayer is needed. There's examples, a lot of examples. Daniel, when he was praying, it says in, uh, I can't remember the chapter, but in the early part of Daniel, he's praying and And it says, God heard Daniel's prayer and dispatched an angel to deliver him the the answer that he was looking for. But it took three weeks for the angel to arrive. Why? Because he was held up, he says, by the enemy. The enemy held up the angel from, from showing up and giving Daniel the answer. So Daniel keeps praying for three weeks. And finally, the angel breaks through. See, this is then it's like this, like we pray for a certain thing to happen, but God may want to do a hundred things in you and around you before he actually gets to that request. Do you, do you, you understand? You ever had that happen? You're praying for A and he does B, C, D, E, F, G, H before he gets back to A. This is what he does sometimes, right? We pray for a certain thing, but God wants to do a hundred things all around us and in us before he gets back to that request. Like, how about he, see, his job, what the Holy Spirit is doing is making us more like him, right? He, he wants us to be like Jesus. So if we have to be a little uncomfortable to make progress, he's okay with that. We're not, but he is, right? So he may want to deal with your pride. He may want to deal with your hard heart. He may want to deal with your fear, your doubt. He may want to deal with your addiction, your emotional dysfunction. He may want to deal with your independent spirit and your over-reliance on yourself rather than on the Spirit of God. Maybe he wants to deal with all of those things before he deals with your request. We never think about that. 
but it's true. And so why do we keep praying and keep believing? Why do we keep praying and keep believing? Why do we keep praying and keep believing? Not to overcome God's reluctance to answer, but to make sure that we grab hold of everything that he wants for us. And you can almost be guaranteed that he has way more to give you than your simple one request. You ask him for one thing, he wants to do 28 things before he gets there. This is what he does. This is why we keep praying and keep praying with, with expectancy, right? There are times, and you know this, when things need to be broken so that they can be put back together in a better way. See, remember, if you're a believer, you're a child of God. He is your good father. He loves you dearly, and he knows how to set you right. He knows what to do. He knows how to put you on the right path. He knows what you need. He is for you, not against you. But you've got to keep up. You've got to keep it up. You've got to keep it up. He is doing something in the midst. Well, I can't see it. Well, join the world, man. We see through the glass darkly. But he's still alive and well and working. And he's working on something. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Don't give up. You're, you're looking for one answer and he's working behind you. And you, you open up your eyes to see how he's answering your prayer. You're so focused sometimes. I get so tunnel focused sometimes too that he's answering my prayer in a weird way that I didn't even know he was answering my prayer. I'm asking him to answer it this way, and he's answering it this way. And sometimes we get our blinders on, and we cannot see the scope of the work that God is up to. So keep it up and open your eyes. Pray with expectancy. This is what David said. You hear me say this all the time, but it's one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 5. Oh, Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you, and I wait expectantly. This is the right attitude. Every morning, Lord, I'm going to bring my request to you like we did this morning. And now we wait with expectation because he's up to something. We've given it to him and we can trust him with it, right? Hebrews eleven six. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, we need that. We need that faith to keep it up. See, believing and expecting is an effective way to pray. And they show that here in Acts chapter 4. Next, they pray for courage. Acts 4.29, just put that up for me quick. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. So now they ask for courage. Like, if you ask me, these people already had courage. They, uh, Peter and John are standing there, you know, untrained, ordinary fishermen standing up to the elite, the, 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 the PhDs of the world. And do they cower in their presence? No, they give them the what for. And even the men lean back and say, whoa, who are these guys? 
these are guys, ordinary guys, but their training was with the king of kings. And they showed something. They showed backbone and courage. They already had courage, but here they even asked for more. And it wasn't just the disciples. It was the group of men and women, believers, who were going out, taking the message of Jesus, facing opposition and difficulty, and asking God to help them with boldness and courage and power to do the job that they knew they were called to do. See, the threat from the Jewish leaders, it was no joke. It was absolutely no joke. These people killed people when they didn't like you. They found a way. Look what they did to Jesus. You don't, they did it to multiple people. They don't like you, you're done, right? They, the, 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 the threat from them, when they threaten Peter and John and say, do not speak in the name of Jesus ever again. That's not an empty threat. It's a real threat. And I, I'm sure that they're dealing with some fear. Of course, they're human beings. But they pray for the courage to overcome. Notice too, by the way, they don't ask for protection. They ask for power. They don't ask the Lord to strike down their enemies. Say, Lord, smooth out my path. Remove every bump. Remove every wall. Make this road and this journey in you smooth and wonderful, peaceful and quiet, like walking by a bubbling brook. No, they don't pray that way. They ask for courage. They ask for the ability to preach and teach the word. They ask for the power to keep going in the face of fear and in the face of adversity. This is what they ask for. Are we wimps? Oh, yeah, we are sometimes. This is not what they prayed for. See, all of us get afraid at times. Listen, we're people, me too. Fear gets in our way. It stops us from doing things that God has called us to do. Listen, have you ever been afraid to do something even though you were sure God wanted you to do it? Ever had something in your life? You were afraid to do it even though you, you were 100% sure that God wanted you to do it. It's happened to me multiple times. In fact, I can think of two directly that just pop into my mind. One, that by the way, this August coming up will be our 10th year here in Stouffville. Uh, our family, we came in uh, August of 2009, and this August will be our 10-year anniversary back at SPC. But I say that to say in... in uh, whatever it was, the spring, I guess, or early summer of 2009, when I got a call to come back here, I was afraid. I wasn't sure about that. Who goes back? For those of you who didn't know, I used to be the youth pastor here 108 years ago and (laughs) was gone for a long time. And then it feels like it. Oh, man, it feels like it someday. And and who goes back? And I knew the church was maybe not in the best shape and our finances weren't all that great. And I got updates on what was going on, did some homework. Was I a little bit afraid? Yes, I was. I was. But there came a day when both Helen and I knew it was the right thing to do. And so I prayed for courage. I prayed for wisdom. 
I prayed for favor and the ability to do what God's called me to do. I'm normal, just like you. You know what? I was afraid. I was afraid shortly after that, eight years ago, when I was driving down Hoover Park and I stopped at that light and the Holy Spirit said, you see that plot of land right there? That's yours. That's where your new church is going to be built, right there. You think I was afraid then? I thought it was bad pizza. I drove back to the church. I sat at my desk and I went, Lord Jesus, did you just speak to me? We have nothing. We have no money. We have no people. We have no ability to pull this off. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Just where I want you to be. (laughs) Just, Just in the perfect place for a miracle. Rely on yourself, you'll get what you can do on your, by yourself. Rely on God, and this is what you get. Yeah. yeah, I was afraid. But here's the thing. The bottom line is when you pray for courage, When you pray for courage to do something that God wants you to do, right? It goes back to doing his will, right? When you pray for courage to do something God wants you to do, he's going to give you what you need to succeed. I think he finds a prayer like that absolutely irresistible. Cannot help himself but to pour out power and blessing into that prayer. Yes, son, you're doing it, what I said you to do. Daughter, you get it. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You can do it. You can handle it. I'm with you. I will see this through to the end. The, he loves prayers like that. See, we all get afraid. Courage is not the absence of fear, right? It's the power to continue in spite of it. So we, 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 of course, we pray against fear and we want that minimized in our life. But there'll always be anxious moments in our, in our walk with Jesus. There'll always be. In fact, if there never is, I'm concerned for you. But we pray for courage to do what we know God has called us to do. And he finds a prayer like that, I think, irresistible. He can't resist a prayer like that. See, Jesus said, I, or he will come, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He says, I will give you the ability to overcome, right? I will give you the ability that you need. See, he knows at times that he is asking us to be involved with something that we can't do on our own. He knows that already. He knows you. He knows how weak we are. He knows how insufficient our wisdom is. He already gets it. And yet he asks us to do things that are beyond ourselves. Why? Because he's trying to teach us dependence. He's trying to teach us to rely on him. He's trying to teach us how to unite a body of Christ together, and when we come together and pray, when we acknowledge God's goodness, when we pray with expectancy and courage, there is something powerful that happens when those things come together. These elements are powerful, and they're on display brightly here in Acts chapter 4. 
So he understands that when he asks us to do something larger than ourselves, he knows that it can trigger fear. He knows that, right? But he wants us to ask for the courage and the boldness to keep going, to do God's will. Don't worry about the... You don't have to curse the enemy and run around. Like we, there's sometimes time for that, but sometimes it's just like, God, the enemy's going to do what the enemy's going to do. You give me the power, the wisdom, and the strength, and I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And, and, and I'm on the winning team. And as I do your will and walk in your power, he's going to get defeated. I don't need to worry about him. You know? and, and this is, the, I think, the attitude that we need to have. So we can ask for courage to do God's will, and I think you'll receive it every time. In fact, you can take it to the bank. You'll receive it every time. Last, and we've got to wrap up quick, pray for signs and wonders. Acts chapter 4, verse 30, they say this, stretch out your hand with healing power, O Lord. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know, there's lots of churches and lots of Christians. We don't pray for big things anymore. We've given up. Don't pray for signs and wonders. Never see them. Never think of them. Don't have the faith for them. But the early church prayed for them. The early church received them. As far as I know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God's the same, guess who's moved? See, these people here, they want Jesus to be glorified. They're not asking him to do miraculous things so that their name can be put up in lights. They're not asking for him to do signs and wonders so women would fall at their Peter and John's feet and worship them as gods. No, nonsense. He's saying, do signs and wonders so that the name of Jesus will be glorified. Right? And, the, and, and of course, it's sincere. It's real. God comes, shakes the house and then sends them out, and it is unbelievable what they did. They got up from that prayer meeting, and they changed the world. Do you know that? They literally changed the world. The place is shaken. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak boldly about Jesus, and they go out, and they see miracles begin to happen all over the place. See, the name of Jesus has not lost its power, but many of God's people have no power because of our sin, because of our lack of prayer, our lack of unbelief. Sometimes we pray with the wrong motives, but he says, go ahead, pray for signs and wonders. I'm still in the healing business. I still am a God who can take a mountain and throw it into the sea. He's still the same God. The name of Jesus has not lost its power. Look at what happens in Acts chapter 5. So this finishes... Uh, put up for me. So we, we read uh, and when we said when the place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out preaching boldly. That's the end of chapter 4. The very next chapter, chapter 5, says this. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. <gasps> Amazing. They asked for it. And they got it. You got it. And all the believers are meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats 
so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Man. I would love to be in a place like that. So children of God, God can still do great things. And it's still okay to ask him. It's still okay to believe him for it. You know, when we began this year and we were talking about setting this year up and uh, we, for those of you who weren't here, we're talking about the, uh, the Phoenician woman who asked Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus says to her, look, I've just come for the Jews. I've not come to do a lot of work among your kind. And she said, yeah, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from your table. And we did a sermon on that. But, but the point of the sermon was this, that Jesus is impressed by her faith, and he says, go, your daughter as well. Your worst problem is nothing but a crumb. It's nothing but a crumb to our big God. Nothing but a crumb. Can he do signs and wonders? Yes, he can. Can he heal bodies? Yes, he can. Can he break down hard hearts and turn, turn people back to himself? Yes, he can. Can he do your, your you know, eh, 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 can he do what's in your mind? Right now, I know, I can feel it. Some of you are saying, yeah, but I've got this, or I've got this, or I've never seen it, I've never got I, I can, eh, look, let it go. Let it go. He is a God who can do big things. And why can't we simply believe him for it? So uh, Pastor Jordan's going to come in just a second, and he's going to give you uh, a little announcement and a little explanation on these cards as we head into our four weeks uh, series on prayer and the Holy Spirit. But I just set it up to say this. We want to pray and believe over the next four weeks or so for God to do something really great in people's lives. We're looking for turnarounds. We're looking for breakthroughs. We're going to believe God that he's going to show up and do something great. 